I want to remind you that as we study the book of Revelation, that the book of Revelation was written as an encouragement, not a discouragement to the body of Christ. Amen? You know, sometimes look at the, people look at this and there's just all these things going on and there's turmoil and chaos. Uh, there's going to be death and destruction, all these things. There's going to be famine and plagues and, you know, we, we see all these things. Uh, if you look at them from the, the most obvious point of view, they're, they're seriously negative. I mean, these are issues that, you know, we just have a tough time understanding. How can this be the God of love that causes these things to come about? This should tell you exactly how wicked the world can get. And it has not gotten there yet. The world is waxing worse and worse. And there is going to come a point in time when God is going to say, but for his hand of grace coming in judgment, the world would self-destruct. And innocent people, believers, would be unduly pressured and unduly harmed. And so these things are the answer to the question posed by the prophet David when he said, How long, O Lord, will you tarry? This is the answer. God is telling us. And at the same time he's telling us, he has also reminded us Jesus' own words in both Mark and Matthew's gospel as he speaks forth this discourse on the Mount of Olives, there in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, he says, Look, no one is going to know the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. No one's going to know. No human being is going to know. Peter reminded us in Second Peter chapter 1 and in verse 20, reminded us that no scripture is of any private interpretation. So these things are not so there can be a select group of people who have the information about what's going to happen in the last days. They are so the whole church can know that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. And so these things are to warn us, they're to instruct us, they're to encourage us to get busy about our Father's business, amen? They're not private knowledge so we can walk out of the sanctuary, well, I know something you don't know. You know and some Christians act that way, you know, well, we know about this, and you know, we saw this, and you've got the whole thing going on with Jonathan Kahn right now and the whole blood moon thing and the, the Shemitah. And all. It, it's just nonsense. Because if God wanted to tell us, he would tell us. And if he wanted to tell us specifically, he would tell us specifically. He's told us generally how those things would be when the Son of Man comes. And so what we are studying is to give us a foreknowledge of the general things that we can look forward to as the age of grace comes to a close. So we can see that when these things begin to increase, because all of them are based on the increase of these things in the last days. And so they have to exist and then they have to progressively get worse and worse and worse. And so for us, it's really important to realize some of these things are at catastrophic levels already never before seen in human history. The stage is set. 
we can tell the times and the seasons. We, we can look around and say, man, the fig tree is starting to bud. Israel has come into its own. It's in its own land, speaking its own language. And, and I want to strongly encourage you to invite someone who does not know the Lord to be here next Thursday night. Our brother Amir hangs out with some people you might know. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He's a government official in the land of Israel. And so he's going to share things from a very Hebrew perspective. But even he is not going to know the day and the time. We are being instructed... So we understand there's less time than there was yesterday. And there's going to be less time still tomorrow. And as the age of grace begins to wind down, we're going to see as these very short snippets, these four horsemen, prepare us to understand the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, is going to have to have a world that is ripe for these things. They come on the scene instantaneously. And so the Antichrist will come into a world that's dying for a one world government. He is dying for a one world religion. And is dying for a one world monetary system. Look at your world. And ask yourself some simple questions. Has there ever been in any point in time... A greater desire in the world for global solutions. Global leadership. Globalism. Global currency. Those are the things that we look at every day in our news media. Oh, we need a global solution to that. We're trying to impress a global solution in the Middle East right now. And it's not working. And so tonight, the third horse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the black horse. Let's pray. Father, we have come tonight again just with hearts open to receive. And God, as these words come pouring forth from this page. God, we can almost see the scroll unrolling. We, we can see that first horse, the Antichrist, come on the scene and as he brings peace, a false peace, and we can then see the wars that will follow in the red horse. And God, we can surely see what would follow next, just the natural course of events, the death, disease, plagues, sickness, famine, all of these things. God would come upon a world that's rejected you. And Lord, we thank you tonight that that time has not yet come. And we pray that in this age of grace, this this hour of decision wherein you have given all of mankind the ability to repent and to receive your gracious offer of salvation, Jesus Christ, that not one person would leave this place tonight without a relationship with Jesus. God, save the lost tonight. If it is one Save that person. We pray that you bless the study of your word. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior 
and our soon coming king. Amen. Verse 5 here in Revelation chapter 6, the third, the black horse of the apocalypse. And when he opened the third seal, remember these horsemen are the first four of the seven seals. And so the third seal is now going to be unleashed, and they are sequential. One must be opened before the other. You can then see how these things would be the course of events that would naturally occur if you have a false government come on the scene, make promises it can't keep. Then you see the ensuing wars because of the false promises, and now you begin to see the results of the wars. Now these things are generalizations And as we see the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, they will get far more descript of what is happening. We'll look at these things in the context of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, as we move forward. And I saw when he opened the third seal and heard the third living creature say, same as he said for the other two, come and see, look. It's as if history is written in advance, and is that not exactly what the Bible declares prophecy to be? In that sense, it is history written in advance. God knows, being God, he sees the beginning, he sees the end, and everything in between. And all that he writes is good and perfect and true. And so whether we like to acknowledge it or not, these things, though they have not yet happened, will one day occur. And so he said this world ruler will come, he said war will come, and now he says, look at this third horse, this black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And he's not talking about off a fish. He's talking about a pair of scales with which things would be measured in the balance. And the way those scales worked is at that time you would put a weight on one side, equivalent, and you would put the product on the other. And as you balanced them when they came to true and level, that was considered to be an equal measure. And so it's important to understand that these scales will be very unjust. Isaiah the prophet reminded us that the world uses unjust measures. In fact, it concerns itself with the fine dust. And so the world looks at things, and we, you know, sometimes I wonder, and you probably do too, you go to the gas pump, who checked this thing? My truck only holds 21 gallons, how did I just put 23 in it? You probably look at the banana, how did that one banana weigh a pound and a half? You know, there are times when things get out of kilter. But in this day and time, when the black horse rides out, things will be so unbelievably unjust that everything will not have a value that could be calculated in, in a human sense by its worth. It will have a value in this horrible time known as the tribulation. And it will be extreme. Rides out with a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, so that you understand that weight, a denarius was the coinage of the day equivalent to a day's wages. So for you and I, if you happen to be someone who's working at a a rate of minimum wage, it's the equivalent of maybe $65 today with your taxes and benefits. They didn't have those things in that day. Things were much simpler, and so you would receive a denarii, one denarius, for a day's wages. 
It was a common coin of the realm. They usually had the ruler of the region's face on them. And so you can, when we traveled to Israel, you'll be able to go into shops in the old city in Jerusalem. You'll actually be able to purchase these coins if you'd like to purchase one. You can buy a denarius with the face of one of the Caesars on it. Or even some that have the face of Pilate, some local denarii. And so they would be given one quart, and it says a quart of wheat and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And an interesting thing, but do not harm the oil and the wine. You see, the oil and the wine were the substances of the rich people. And so what has happened is the poor have become even more poor. Those who were not well off are now unbelievably not well off. And the appearance here in the, in the mixing of these two things of wheat and barley is by way of examination because wheat was far more valuable than barley. Barley then was an animal feed. If you've ever seen barley, it's tough to make pretty much anything out of barley but soup. It's a very hard grain. Uh, It does not produce bread well. It can be made into kind of like a mush, a gruel. But it is a substance that most of you, if you you went to someone's house and said, we're having grilled barley tonight, you'd be going, yuck. (laughs) Wheat, on the other hand, could be fashioned into bread. It could be made into flour and kept for a long time. It had a longer shelf life. And so here's a quart of wheat. Now, to give you an idea, it took more than a quart of wheat to sustain a single individual during that day and time. A quart of wheat doesn't make much. It doesn't even make half a loaf of bread. Now, imagine an entire family trying to live on a half a loaf of bread for your day's wages. Can you see the disparity between what you make and what you need? When the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to make promises that he cannot keep. He's going to tell everybody, oh, it's going to be fine. He's going to be making political speeches like you have never. You thought the debate last night was a joke. It's going to get worse. Except there's only going to be one guy talking. And you talk, you, the, the name, talking head, this guy's going to be a talking head. And the whole world is going to be worshiping the words that come out of his mouth. And then the reality of the deal that they have literally made with the devil. Because the church has been raptured out, it's gone. The Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil, also gone. The influence of the church in the world, gone. Think of that today. If if it's this bad with the church still in the world, imagine how bad it will get when the church is out of the world. We look now at the things that we see in our world and, and we ask ourselves, how can it get any worse? How can our country have gotten where it is now from where it was in the days of Ozzie and Harriet in the 50s. Leave it to Beaver. 
you know, it, it just, you know, the courtship of Eddie's father. You know, they, you, you start, get, and then you start getting into the 60s, and it gets just a little bit, uh, well, that's kind of risque. Well, you know, I don't know that they're actually married. You know, I remember the first television show that I watched where it actually showed somebody who obviously was with someone with whom they were not married. It was so scandalous that that TV program was canceled. Now it's over 90% of all TV programs have that content, including cartoons. I grew up in the day of Tom and Jerry and, and Wiley Coyote and the famous Acme bombs that somehow fell from the sky and anvils that dropped and squished them and they were still alive. Just their eyeballs were flat with the Lexus in them. That was horrible, evil stuff at that day and time. Our world has gone to hell in a very short period of time. It's going to get worse. Way worse. We live in a day and time when there is gross inequity in what people are paid and how they live and the things that they have opportunity to even purchase and own. And it is a tragedy and a travesty. And we must work at fixing those inequities. But when the Antichrist comes, you're going to see things that you have never seen before. And that is the picture that's laid out before us. The Antichrist will have a three-part plan during the tribulation. Very simply are these three components. A one-world government. In other words, the world will have tried all kinds of measures. You know what's going on in Syria right now. The Russian army is setting up at an air base, Assad air base in Syria, tonight. They've moved in heavy weapons. They've moved in anti-aircraft missile systems. They have moved in tanks, cargo planes. They are doing the same thing that they did in Crimea. The same thing they have done in Ukraine. The same thing that they did in Chechnya. The same thing that they've done in northern Bosnia. They are doing the very things that you would expect if an army of the north was going to attack Israel. That's happening. One day the world's going to come unglued and somebody's going to have to come on the scene and ultimately they're going to be part of actually sparing national Israel. That stage is being set. It's going to have a one world government. Well, we can't trust you guys to run anything. The UN's failed. The EU's failed. The United States, well, they have turned completely carnal. Can't trust them anymore. I'll have a one world monetary system. I would imagine most of you have been following what's been going on in the stock market of late. Whether you have any money in it or not, your life is affected by it. There will be unjust balances. And so the Antichrist comes along and says, look, we're going to make it okay for everybody. We're going to fix that problem. I mean, after all, we've got runaway inflation. Matter of fact, we've got hyperinflation. We're in an actual depression. Have you noticed how people don't want to use that word, depression? 
That is what you get when you have runaway spending and you have no way to pay it. That's what happens when you have runaway debt and you have no way to pay it. Eventually it catches up with you, and I'll get to more of that in a bit. You'll need a one-world monetary system because you're going to have to take the people who have cash, take their cash, and you're going to have to give it to people who don't have cash. It's the only way to fix the problem. And then a one-world religion. Look at the world today. It's just aching for somebody to come along. You have roughly one quarter of the world is Roman Catholic. You have another quarter that is evangelical Christian. You have another quarter that's Muslim. And you have another quarter that is basically Eastern religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Shintoism. Isms of many kinds. It's ismic. And so, unfortunately, those countries where that, there is a prominent religion, there's also a world system that's based on that religion, isn't there? Anybody that says that isn't true is, doesn't understand global politics. This country, whether you like it or not, is based on Judeo-Christian Christian values, Judeo-Christian values. If you travel to a Muslim country, it's based on the Quran. It has Quranic values, Islamic values. When you travel to Europe, it is largely Roman Catholic. And when you travel to the East, it is largely Hindu, Buddhist, and, and, and the rest of the Eastern religions. The isms. So what happens? Those nations take on the characteristics of the belief system of the people that live there. Anybody that can't see that is not too bright. That is exactly what happens. That's why if you're a woman and you're here tonight, you cannot go to Iran and have your face uncovered. You may not go to Saudi Arabia and drive. You can't even be out at night. It is against Sharia law. That's why. So their laws take the face of their religion. The same is true in India that is primarily Hindu. So like it or not, there is a religious problem in the world. The Antichrist is going to say, we'll just merge them all. We're going to have a religion where everybody believes the same thing. And I joke and say it's going to be Christo-Islamo-Buddhism or something. It, it, it will be like that. It will be very ecumenical. We'll, just, we'll all have coexist bumper stickers on. <laughs> and by the way, when I say that, that's not meant to disrespect the people groups. That's simply saying the gospel is excluded. The gospel is exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So as far as a world religion, we believe something that you have to believe to be saved. You realize that, right? So the Antichrist comes along, and he says, look, we're going to have a one world religion. You'll just all get along, everybody will be fine. True religious freedom. For a very short period of time. 
In the context of this day, global war will ultimately come from these political allegiances and alliances that are put together. And so what happens when you have war? Some of you in this room have been around long enough, and my, my in-laws have still some of the war ration coupon books from the Second World War to where you literally got X number of loaves of bread and you got X amount of milk and you got so much meat and you had your coupon book and you had a coupon stuck in it. That's all there is. This is all you can have. We're rationing it. Now imagine that the whole world literally has been engrossed in war because during the Second World War there were chiefly two fronts. There was the Pacific and the European theater, amen? It was not a whole world war. It was actually a regional war that engulfed all of Europe and not much else other than northern Africa. And the Pacific, very specifically, the nation of Japan, a little bit of China, and the Indo-Pacific region, the South Pacific Islands. Other than that, the rest of the world was not at war. Now imagine the whole world is actually at war. Add in the poverty of the African continent to the mix. Add in the poverty of South America to the mix. Add in the poverty of India to the mix. Add in the poverty of North Korea to the mix. Add in the poverty of China to the mix. And how diluted do you think the food supplies will be of the world? You see, the world becomes not a pleasant place to be. And so here, a denarius, a standard day's wage, not for a whole pizza pie for one slice, not for a whole loaf of bread for less than half a loaf of bread, You could get up to six quarts at that day and time for a denarius uh, of wheat, and it now is down to one quart of wheat. That's not even quite sufficient to sustain one person for a day. So you would work for a day and not even get enough food. Forget your electric bill. Forget your... Cell phones are gone, folks. There'll be no texting during the tribulation. Global war will then bring forth famine, disease, and economic disaster on the world like we've never seen before. And that comes because there's no Prince of Peace. Think about it. You can complain, you can discuss, you you can whine, you can do whatever you want about the role of the United States of America in the world. You can call us the world's police force if you want. You can say all manner of mean and horrible things about the United States of America, but I can tell you this, France wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the United States of America. They wouldn't be there. That would be southern Russia right now. The war in the Pacific, who knows what would have happened if the United States would have had to invade Japan. It would be a very, very different world. Ask the people in Bosnia and Herzegovina if they're thankful for the United States of America. They will tell you 100%, absolutely yes. The United States has never taken land 
ever during a war. Now, we've messed up for sure. We've done some dumb things. But our value system is distinctly Judeo-Christian. And so we, by and large, do actually believe that we should do unto others as we would like to be done unto ourselves. That is an American value. That is not a Russian value. It is for some of the Russian people, but it's not for the Russian government. It surely is not an Islamic value. For wherever you do find the unbeliever, it says in Surah 103, in the Quran, if they will not convert, behead them. That's a religious war. What happens when there's no Prince of Peace at work in the world? People will confiscate everything, they'll hoard food. People will, you'll, you'll see farmers. Farms taken over. Wicked men will destroy, they'll confiscate, do the very same things that happened after the Second World War, especially in Russia. We in America don't realize, but more people died from starvation in Russia after the Second World War than died in the war. Why? Because it became an oligarchy. A ruling class of people where there were definitely the haves and the have-nots. And it was a very small group of haves and a very large group of have-nots. The reign of Pol Pot in Cambodia and Laos. Same exact thing. Now imagine that there's a world ruler with unlimited power. And he has an oligarchy as well. A ruling class of people, those closest to the Antichrist. Can you imagine the magnitude of how bad that will be? A black horse will be a black horse because it will be a horse of mourning. And when you think about those things and that plan that the Antichrist has, ultimately... We, we look at these things and we say, well, it's just almost, you know, I've had people tell me, oh, it's just too far-fetched, it just can't happen. Uh, I'm here to tell you, not only can it happen, we've already seen some of these things come to pass. We've already witnessed and are witnessing the stage being set. Is this scenario even possible? World Health Organization says tonight, as we sit here tonight, when we go to bed, just Consider the same time zone all over the world. When we go to bed, if we cumulatively as as a world lay our heads down to sleep, almost 20% of the world's population goes to bed without enough food to be healthy. Notice what I said. Without enough food to actually be healthy. They may survive, but they're not healthy. In other words, one in eight people every single night goes to bed hungry. Almost one-third of the deaths in children. One-third of all deaths of all children under the age of five is from malnutrition and starvation today. 
one in four children in the entire world will have their growth stunted from malnutrition. That's with the World Food Bank in existence. That's with the World Health Organization. That's with the UN sending billions of dollars worth of food aid all over the world. That's with Catholic relief charities. That's with all of the evangelical churches all over America spending billions of dollars annually to feed the world's poor. Now imagine nobody cares. Because that's what happens when you pull Christ out of this world. Nobody's going to care. Over 85% of all relief efforts done everywhere in the globe are because of Christians. Did you hear what I just said? It's 85% of the relief work that's done globally is because of Christians. People who profess faith in Christ. You go to Africa, you won't find a hospital that wasn't founded by a Christian organization. They almost don't exist. Go to South America, you'll find very much the same thing. Even here in America, how many of our hospital systems are Catholic hospital systems or Baptist hospital systems or systems that were started by people who profess some form of faith in Jesus Christ? Now imagine, they're all gone. Can you imagine the economic collapse? The church is raptured, the church is gone, and all of a sudden, the stuff that we have going on all over the world finally comes to, to fruition. So we sit here tonight, and as you think about these things, you know, our, our massive debt that we currently have is so mind-bogglingly staggering that it's almost impossible to fathom. As we sit here tonight, we're sitting on, we're verging on $19 trillion in debt. Now let me give you a little history of the, of the U.S. debt. I'm not a prophet. I'm not trying to tell you that Wall Street's crashing tomorrow, so please don't read anything into this. But I can tell you this, in, in, in my days taking college statistics, 100% could only be divided up into 100%. Everybody get that principle? If you have 100% of something, you can only bust it up into so many cumulative parts that the sum and total of whatever you bust it up into becomes 100%. So you can take 10% 10 times, you take 20% 5 times, you get the picture, right? If you got 100% over here, and you're trying to break it into anything other than 100%, I'm giving you Economics 101 right now. We call that a deficit. That means that you have this debt, and you have these assets, and your debt is greater than your assets. Everybody got the picture? I'd like to preach this message to our Congress. It's real simple. You have a jar, you put beans in it. You're either putting beans in the jar or taking beans out of the jar. It's no more complex than that. We've taken all the beans out of the jar, including some beans that have never been in there. 
the United States, for the first time in its history in 2013, surpassed 100% debt-to-GDP ratio, gross domestic product. It was 102.98%. The only time we had ever gone over that was quite explainable because it was 1946. Everybody know what that year represents. That was the year after the Second World War. We had lost everything fighting that war. And so for one year, it sat at 121.7%. A record low was reached in 1974. Think of this, folks. Record low for the deficit between our gross domestic product and our debt, which was 31.70%. In other words, the sum and total of the output of the United States of America was almost twice the size of our debt. Tonight, as we sit here, it's 106% of our gross domestic product. Our gross domestic product is the highest it has ever been in the course of the history of the United States of America. And yet our debt is greater. We have taken all the beans out of the jar, including... 6% more beans than were ever in the jar. We call that empty. (laughs) You can swipe that debit card all you want. It's going to be NSF, okay? So now imagine that the whole world is on that path. It's what's happening in Greece. 131% debt to gross domestic product ratio. Europe, 111% debt gross domestic product ratio. China, 112% gross debt to domestic product. The entire world is operating on plastic money. Now you all are probably going to go home, withdraw all your money, stick it in your mattress, but... It's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make, now imagine somebody comes on the scene and says, we're going to fix all that. America can't fix their problem. It's just too great. And frankly, we can't. There is not an economic solution to the problem that we face right now because we have spent our grandkids' grandkids' income. It's gone. Every one of you in here tonight owes over $250,000 if you're a taxpayer to the United States federal government. If you're a citizen of the United States, it's $57,800. That's every man, woman, and child owes the United States right now. You're born with that kind of debt. How many of you in here have ever saved that much money in your life? There's not a hand up. There's probably some of you that actually have. But largely, there's probably not a person in here that has $57,000 dollars in their in their savings account right now so you don't have it to give to the federal government we're not making it because we're spending more money in debt than we're actually producing in goods and services why am i saying this because when the antichrist comes he's going to need something to fix he's going to have the answers he's going to come up with something he's going to find some you know cash of gold somewhere that can be sold to aliens because nobody on earth is going to be able to, you know, (laughs) purchase it. I want to show you exactly what happens. You you can't see this, 
This is a banknote from the nation of Zimbabwe. This is a real banknote. This is from four years ago. It is a $100 trillion note. Honest to God. King's X, cross my fingers, hope to die. You can come take a look at it. But it's actually a real bank of Zimbabwe. Why is that? Because they have the same problem that the United States of America has. Runaway inflation, they're spending more money than they actually make. And so this is the result. So I'm, I'm rich. <laughs> you guys want to take a loan for my $100 trillion I got here? If you need something, let me know. We're all heading to Chick-fil-A afterwards. I'm buying. (laughs) The reason I'm saying this is because there's a common problem that happens in the end time. And it's already happened in America. Money becomes God. What did Jesus say? You see, you're going to need a whole day's worth of wages to buy less than a day's worth of food. So what are you going to worship? You're going to worship the person who can solve that problem because you can't take care of it yourself. So you think money is God now? It's really going to be God when this stuff comes unclued. We've seen this before. The Irish potato famine, which happened in 1846 to 1850. If you remember that scenario, it was caused because there was a tax that was placed on farmland. And so people were letting their farmland grow fallow. And by the time they figured out that that was a problem, the potato crop had rotted. And in that rotting potato crop, it produced a sickness that ultimately decreased the population of Ireland in five years by one million people. The total population was only eight million in five years. We've seen these things happen before. In Europe, the the Black Plague, Black Death, it was known as. That Black Death, it was because of what happened to the skin color of people. They started with red sores, they eventually turned black, and they died. Connie and I have traveled to Vienna, Austria. When you go to Vienna, you can go to the St. Stephen's Dome Cathedral. It's the largest Gothic cathedral left in the world. The spires on the side of it, almost 500 feet tall. You can go inside the catacombs underneath that cathedral and you can see the graves of the plague deaths. So many people were dying every day during the plague that they stopped burying them. Instead, they opened up the old salt mines that were underneath the city. They pulled holes open in the street and they simply dumped the bodies into the holes. And then people would take the bodies underneath the cathedral. They would then allow them to decay. And if you go there today, you'll see hundreds of thousands of skulls stacked. And hundreds of thousands of femurs stacked. And hundreds of thousands of parts of every kind of human bone that you can imagine. Because there was no place to put all the dead. There weren't enough live people to care for the dead. By the time it was all said and done, in five years from the Black Plague in Europe, 25 million people died. Now let me give you an idea what that looked like at that day and time. That meant that the total population gain from the year 1000 to the year 1300 
the total population gain of almost 300 years was wiped out in five years from disease. We've seen this before, but nowhere near as bad as it will get when the Antichrist comes on the scene. What happened then was China was the world's busiest port cities, and those, those ships would load up, and eventually they would bring those fleas, those rat infested with fleas that carried the bubonic plague. We just had a plague, a little bit of a mini outbreak in Yosemite National Park. Now imagine that nobody cares. Well, great. So if a whole bunch of people die, more for me. And if you think about it from a purely evolutionary view, that's the best thing that can happen to you. If you're here and you're a staunch evolutionist, I want you to tell me why it isn't the best thing in the world for most people to die so you have everything. That's actually a, a strict evolutionary principle, the survival of the fittest. But that which is best for the individual survives and that which is worst dies off. So sick people are good things, more for me. Antichrist will be going, ah, we're just thinning out the population a little bit. We've seen it before. The world's population, staggering increases. It's now estimated that from 2003 to 2050, the population of the world, as we know it right now, will go from somewhere in the neighborhood of where we are today, which is about 6.7 billion people, to almost 10 billion people. Do you know where most of those people are going to live? In impoverished areas of the world that are already unable to feed their people. Now imagine the Antichrist comes on the scene and says, we can fix that. But he has actually no intent of caring for the people. It's a lie. And so, yeah, at first there'll be sacks of wheat, there'll be sacks of grain, people will be fine. And all of a sudden he says, you know what, after all, I don't care about you. The world grain harvest in 2013 was the shortest world grain supply that we've had since the inception of keeping track of such things. It amounted to only 48 days of world consumption. Today it's 39 days of world consumption. That's all that exists in the entire world. If the whole world stopped producing grain, climate change kicks in. All of a sudden, there's no more production of grain the world would last less than two months. That's it. Now imagine you have a world ruler that says, I can fix that. Our debt would certainly go in that category. Right now, our debt, check this, is growing annually, annually, about what it did in the time from George Washington to Herbert Walker Bush. It's growing annually by almost $4 trillion. That was the total debt from George Washington to George Herbert Walker Bush. You think the world isn't set? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. The world economy is going to come apart during the tribulation. 
And so he says, I heard the third seal, and the heavenly creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, the black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales. And they're going to have $100 trillion notes from Zimbabwe. Here, you're really rich. You'll get your little bitcoins, you can carry them around in your pocket, you'll feel really good about it. And then one day you go to cash them in, you're going to find out, oh, did I tell you that loaf of bread is going to cost you $65.75? Well, I know that's what you make in a day, but you know, just consider it good because your option is you starve to death. Oh, by the way, we can help you pay for that, you know, because we want really a cashless society, so we got this little chip. Could you kind of lean over a little bit? I want to put that in your forehead. The other option is the back of your hand. You can see how the Antichrist's world is being set up, even as we sit here tonight. He's going to have to have global problems to solve. Those global problems have unfolded before us in the last 50 years. There were no such things 50 years ago. When people talked of global things 50 years ago, it was nutty. Think about it. You all have been alive since the invention of the Internet. You all have been alive since the invention of the computer. Probably everybody in here. My Uncle Tom used to work for NASA. The computer that they used to put people on the moon was about the size of this part of the sanctuary right here. And was filled with tape machines. It took so much power that it had to have its own substation. It took so much cooling that it had its own gigantic air conditioning system just for the tape drives in that room. And it could do way less computing than my smartphone. That's the world we live in. That's all been since the 1960s. Global problems. The way information travels. The false peace. The false peace promises that are being made tonight. You look at what we're asking. The United States just asked Israel again to give up the Temple Mount. There have been riots on the Temple Mount for the last several days ever since Rosh Hashanah. Been Palestinian stone throwers. There have been fireworks and firebombs and all kinds of stuff inside of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And as the, as the Jewish worshipers would come onto the Temple Mount, they'd be pelted. Finally, the Israeli Defense Forces came in. And as they, as they move in, they, they were actually nearly incited a war with Jordan. Crazy stuff. And yet we're saying give them more land. James chapter 5, and I want to wrap it up tonight with this. If you turn there, James 5 and in verse 1. James told us about the ECP. A lot lot of people think that this only happens here in the book of Revelation. We're going to find out the tribulation is talked about by the prophet Isaiah. It was talked about by Daniel. Talked about by the prophet Zechariah. And even James gets in on the action Come now, verse says in verse 1 of James 5, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Well, when your loaf of bread costs you $65.50, you're going to see rich people howling. I've had a chance to talk to people with some measure of, of wealth, been around people 
uh, a pretty good chunk of my adult life with a large measure of wealth. Connie and I ourselves, in the business world, wealthy. Uh, I can tell you, when you take the money away from rich people, they howl. They whine, they grumble, they complain, they bellyache, because it's all they got. They really do worship it. Now, it's not all. There are some wonderful people with wealth and means that use it for the kingdom. And I'm not talking about that. I'm simply talking about people whose God is money. It's mammon. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat at your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days and need the wages of laborers who mowed your fields. Not everyone, but certainly many with this kind of wealth got it on the backs of somebody else. Which you kept back by fraud. You cry out. We've all seen the scams. We've watched the Wizards of Wall Street. We've, We've seen what's happened when people... Uh, unleash some hellish scheme on the poor and unsuspecting living a lavish lifestyle while those who they've stolen from uh, fall into despair the Lord has a way of getting even with those things and he says he'll do it in the last days cries of the reapers that have reached the years of the Lord of the Sabbath for you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury and you've fattened your Hearts as in the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the just. And he does not resist you. And therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You see, God isn't missing any of it. Not one of those injustices has gone unnoticed by the Lord. Please know that. If you're here tonight and you've suffered grave injustice, The King of kings and the Lord of lords sees that injustice and he is the absolute redeemer of all things. And whether it's here and now or whether it's there and later, he will make right those inequities. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord and see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early or the latter rain. Basically, he's saying, look, just like a farmer has to... I'm a rotten farmer. I'm the most impatient farmer in the world. I plant seeds. I go out and look at them like every day. They're not growing. (laughs) And so I go and get... We have a lawn at at our former house in Running Springs. Not very many people have lawns in the mountains. Very proud of my lawn. And the gophers would come. Those demonic, evil, vile... And they would pillage my sacred grass. And I'd go out there and I'd get like the bag of seed and topper and the fertilizer and I'd put it down. And I'd stare at it. I'd curse the gopher. Then I'd water it. Then I'd water it some more and water it later. I go look at it some more. Not patient. And then I realized I put too much topper on it. All the grass is growing sideways underneath it. I'd scrape it away and poof, instant lawn would pop up from underneath the topper. I'm not patient. 
You have to wait. If you're a farmer, man, there's a lot of staring out at a dusty field. There's a lot of waiting for those plants to come up out of the ground. You, you see the horses are approaching fast. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how that farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until, the, until it receives the early or the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Root and ground. That word establish means to place stability upon. Establish it. Just put it down to where the roots are deep and they're well watered. Ground your hearts. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. In all of the world's inequity, your promise is the coming of the Lord is at hand. Your promise is he hasn't seen one person who's been unjustly treated. He says, well, that's okay. It's not okay. God hates injustice. It's one of the things he hates. He hates people taking advantage of other people. He hates it when kids go hungry at night. He hates it when adults go hungry at night. He hates it when one country takes advantage of another. His answer is in the coming of the Lord. That's how he's going to fix it. Ultimately, his plan is for the gospel to go out, for people to be saved. He takes those saved people away from this rotten, wretched earth, and then those who have rejected the good news of the gospel will pay the price for what they've done. But even in that, the words that I have just spoken tonight will live on as a testimony that there is an answer to it. Because when we're gone, those audio archives that we have, those of Pastor Steve, those of every pastor who's teaching tonight rightly the Word of God, every Bible, every study material, every library book that preaches Christ crucified for the remission of sin will bear testimony when we're all gone that we were right and they were wrong. And to that end, you need to tell people about Jesus Christ. And so if the Lord should come tonight, if the trumpet should sound, and we who are alive and remain rise to meet him in the air, that those who are left behind when they see that we're gone will go, "Uh uh-oh, this is what they were talking about. And here's here's the good news and the bad news simultaneously. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. You give your life to Jesus once the tribulation ensues, you're still saved. The bad news is it's likely going to cost you your life. Because it's going to get ugly. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? And so these things should encourage us who know the Lord Jesus to be very busy about preaching the gospel message. You're here tonight, you don't know the Lord Jesus. Worship team's going to come back up and we're going to end in praise. Because we should. He's worthy of our praise. Amen? We're going to end in praise. But if you don't know him and you're here tonight, 
Here's your opportunity. Jesus loves you. He died on Calvary's cross to prove it. He's given his life in your place. And if you will believe in him and receive the free gift of life and invite him in as Lord, you'll be saved. And you don't have to worry about any of this stuff because you won't be here either. Amen? If that's you, so pastors come forward, come and pray to receive Jesus. It's simple. It's not hard. And it's the only thing that will fix this problem. Don't miss that opportunity. Tomorrow's promise to no man. We, we don't know when the Lord has punched our ticket. But I know this. He's given us hope if he does it. He's going to bless us here and now. And he's going to really bless us in the hereafter. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you tonight, and Lord, as we draw our time together to a close, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, Lord, pray that you would just touch them right now by the power of your Spirit to convict them, to convince them of the truth of these words. Lord, it's not me. You were asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And you simply said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that salvation would come to the lost. We pray that strength would come to the weary and that blessing would come to the full. Lord, we ask that you would bless us indeed. We do ask as Jabez asked, Lord, bless us indeed. Bless us in these last days, Lord. May we be uh, your shining lights, Lord, not hidden under a basket but on a hill, Lord, bright, Able, ready, willing, Lord, to do what you ask. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us, Lord, the hope of heaven. So in the precious name of Jesus, we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.